Starting in verse 38, if you want to find that passage, we'll be spending all of our time there this morning and we've picked up back in the, in the book of Luke in the past couple of weeks here and Chad did a great job of sharing the truth of God's word with us last week of, of what it means to be a disciple and what Jesus was teaching about that and the sense of what it means to be a neighbor to someone, what it means to primarily love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and body, and then to love one neighbor as itself. And then we come to this passage in Luke chapter 10, and this story of this account of, of Jesus in the home of some beloved friends. And what I want you to do this morning, this it's a pretty familiar passage to most of us. I want you to just hold it there, because we're going to be looking in, in Luke, and even backtracking a little bit to get context. But if you would just have it there in your Bible, if you just put your finger in it and just kind of close it up and kind of have your spot there. <clears throat> and I want you in your mind just to, just to picture this the first time of you hearing this story of Mary and Martha and Jesus being in their, in their home and just, just listen to the word of God and this story and thinking through the truths of what is this saying about us as disciples of Jesus? Because that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So it already began to process in this, in your mind, what this is saying and what God is wanting to teach us through this story. Jesus was coming into a new town in this town that was actually called Bethany. And there was a woman there named Martha. And she welcomed Jesus into her home. And now Martha, she had a sister. And the sister's name was Mary. And Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she was listening intently to his teaching and the words that he was saying. But Martha, she became very distracted with much serving and all that was needing to be done. And she went up and approached Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that I've been left to serve alone? Will you please tell Mary to come and, and help me? And Jesus answers to her and she says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you're troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. Will you pray with me? Father, we know your word is truth, and it is central and important to our lives as followers and as worshipers of you, Jesus. And so would you speak to us during this time, God, as we explore your word and what it means to be your follower, God, would you, your spirit, be here, God, and speaking truth, God, and then applying to each and every situation in our lives these truths and how that plays out as we're searching to, to follow after you and seeking to follow after you and lay down our lives and worship you, Jesus. So pray you bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. 
As we look at this story, and you can open now and, and, and follow, and we're going to kind of look back through that and look at some other things to kind of frame and to set this up. We see that Jesus is finding his way into this town, and the text actually just says a town, but we know this is Bethany because we know from other gospel accounts, in particular John 11, that this is the sisters of Lazarus whom Jesus has raised, who raised from the dead. And he makes a point in that passage in the gospel of John to say, these are people that Jesus loved dearly. These are beloved friends of Jesus. And of course, Jesus Jesus loved all of his followers, but man, these were close companions. They became deep friends. And we also see in this passage that this Martha has a sister named Mary, and Mary has found her place where? She's found her place at the feet of Jesus. And we're going to talk about the significance of what that means and the importance, but basically she's listening to and she's soaking up his words and her time with him. Now we see Mary mentioned three other times in the Gospels, and what's interesting is that in all the times that we see Mary mentioned, she ends up finding herself at the feet of Jesus. And this seems like a really good thing, right? That you would, somebody would find themselves at the feet of Jesus, prioritizing time with him and listening and soaking up his word. Who would be willing to complain about someone coming to hear Jesus teaching and making that a priority? But Martha is sitting there wanting to listen, but she, her mind begins to fill with all of the duties that are to be done. The meal to prepare, the things to bring out, the serving of guests, a very honored guest indeed. And she's responsible for this as the one who has welcomed them into the home. And it would have been a custom with such an honored guest and the people that would have come also, the others. She wanted to bring out her best, the very best that she had to offer. She wanted to bring out the most that she could and had to offer for those to enjoy such a treasured occasion of Jesus being there and teaching and visiting together. So Martha, she becomes distracted with these things and the thought of all of these duties that are happening. And really the verb for this word, and your Bible may say distracted, or it may say even cumbered maybe, it's literally to draw from around. And so this imagery that she's looking all around, there's this centerpiece that's there, but she's distracted, she's drawing. What's drawing her attention is all of these things that are around the centerpiece. So she's distracted in that kind of way by everything else that's happening. And that combine that with Mary's lack of help, and it would have been in her responsibility and wheelhouse as the sister of Martha to come and help and prepare these types of things and bring out the dishes and bring out the food and make sure everybody's being served. This all culminates into this explosion of interruption before Jesus. She went up to him. Literally, so this this really this imagery, Jesus is kind of still teaching and she just kind of violently steps in, bursts in, possibly even stops Jesus in his teaching to confront his awareness of this situation. And he knows what's happening. But the question that she has for him, do you care, Jesus? Do you care? I'm, I'm serving you. I'm serving you, and for the right reason, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be, do and know what, uh, that I need to be doing this. And, and Mary, she, she needs to be helping me. Tell her, Lord. Come on, tell her. Tell her to get her priorities straight and to come help. And don't you know that Jesus' response is not what Martha expects? Because Martha has already made the assumption in her mind that she's correct about Mary's priorities being off. But Jesus, and with a very deep concern, and we know that it's deep concern. We know, we know two things about that. He says, Martha, Martha. It's one, that there's deep concern for Martha. And two, that what I'm about to say next is extremely important, so you need to listen. And so Martha, 
Martha, deep concern. He, he does what? He diagnoses the problems within Martha's own heart. See, in all of her honorable serving, which was not coming from a motivation of wrong. We're going to talk about that a little more. Jesus, Jesus does not condemn or question her motivation in this passage. We, and we know from other accounts really in the gospel that speak about Martha that she has a strong love and belief in Jesus as, as Lord and as the Christ. But she's allowing this service and this good thing that she's wanting to do for Jesus and have the heart to do it for Jesus, she's allowing it to make her anxious. And so inwardly in her heart, she's not at rest in service to Jesus. So she needed the biblical truth that we know of from, from Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Where we know it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known, made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And she needed this verse, even in the midst. We don't always think about needing this verse in the midst of serving Jesus. But she does. And we do. And this unrest in her heart is visibly showing itself. And that Jesus says, you're anxious? That's revealing that he knows her inner heart. And that's proving to show itself in the external that she's troubled. Visibly, you're able to see that she's upset. That she's troubled. That this is bothering her. That her inner anxiety has, has come to show itself in trouble. You could see it on her face. You could hear it in her tone. And so Jesus' response to Martha is not a condemning of her service to him. It's a redirecting of her heart as a disciple of his. And it's an affirmation that Mary has chosen something good to be at his feet, listening to his truth. So I think as we look at this, this story of Jesus, there's some important things that, that we can learn from it and that we're going to need to know. And to help us with some of that context, we need to know a few things about this. So one is this, that this, this is not just a story in which we're able to make some black and white conclusions and say that we all need to be Mary and that Mary's the good guy here and, Mar and Martha is the bad guy, okay? Two is that this is not a story in which we get to choose and say, well, well, some people we would identify and say, yeah, I find myself more of a Mary and then here I find myself more of a Martha and, and, and through my personality and the way that I am and my giftings and things like that, I'm a Mary. Or maybe you would say you're a Martha. In fact, this, this story, when we look at context of where it's at in Luke, it's not really necessarily even about Mary and Martha. That's not the main thrust of what's needing to be teach, taught here is this compare and contrast between these two different people. Because they're both disciples of Jesus, wanting to love Jesus and serve Jesus. In its main thrust, this passage is a story that's centered on Jesus and our proper response and attitude towards him as his disciples. And so really to help us see this, we need to frame up this passage in Luke. So I just want to frame it up quickly. And I'm not going to be long in this, but even going all the way back. So we've been walking through Luke now all the way to 10 chapters. We're coming to the end. And Luke is making a case. He's making a point of the account of Christ and who he is, what he taught, what he did, how he called his followers, and how we're to live as disciples of Jesus. 
And so Luke 1 through 8 is painting this picture really of, of the story of Jesus. Obviously him coming into this world and how that unfolded and even the launching out as you get into Luke 3 and 4, the importance of the Spirit of God coming upon Jesus and him launching his public ministry and his teaching ministry. And so at first emphasis is given on that and then emphasis shifts to what he says. What is Jesus saying? What does Jesus teach? And we'll see even more of that. Luke will shift back to saying the emphasis right now is I want to show you what Jesus taught. And we've seen some of that through Luke. And then emphasis becomes given to what he does. What does Jesus do? So even starting in Luke 8, we start to see this. A couple of chapters even back. And if you want to flip through, you can. But if you just want to listen, you can trust that this is what's happening in Luke chapter 8. We begin to see that this story of Jesus calms a storm. Luke wants you to know Jesus has power and authority over nature. Then we see a story where he's able to cast out demons from this man who's been possessed for many years. And so showing that Jesus has authority, spiritual authority over demons and over darkness and over Satan. Then we see this story where he heals a sick woman. He wants to show us. Luke is trying to show us. Jesus has authority over sickness. And then he brings a dead girl back to life. He wants to show us by what Jesus does. Jesus has authority over death. He can bring people back to life if he wants to. And then in Luke 9, even further, still emphasis on what does Jesus do and what do we learn from that? Jesus is able to take a little bit of food and make it feed thousands of people. And then in Luke 9, his disciples begin to understand them. The emphasis becomes on people and Peter who begins to say, man, Jesus, he asks him, who who am I? Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Christ. You're the one who's to come. And so his disciples, after seeing all this, they begin, and not a full understanding, they begin to get an understanding of this person that they're following and his authority and who he is and what he does. And then in Luke 9, we see where a little bit of a shift of attention begins to take place, where it turns into this. What does it mean to respond to someone like this? What does it mean to respond to someone who has the proven power and authority over nature and demons and who is taught in this kind of way? What does it look like to follow this Jesus who can do these things and who has this authority and who says these things? What does this look like? And in Luke 9, we begin to, Jesus starts painting that picture. And Luke is wanting to emphasize what that picture looks like to respond to somebody like Jesus. He's, he's painted a well picture of what Jesus taught and what he did and his authority. And so what does it look like to respond? What did Jesus say it would look like to respond and be his followers? We come to Luke 9, 23 and 24. And Jesus says, it looks like this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And then what else? Luke 9 goes on to paint more of a picture. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? Because it seems like that would be in a, a high position, right? I mean, if Jesus has this authority, his, his disciples begin to wonder, this, this would look like a high position. Oh man, when Jesus comes into power and authority, we're going to be on his right and we're going to be on his left. But there's 12 of us. I wonder which one of us it's going to be who's sitting next to this authoritative Jesus, who's going to sit on his throne. We know he's the Christ. But again, Jesus wants to make it real clear to them and paint a picture to them what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so when they're arguing about this, he takes a little kid into his arms and said, you're going to welcome children like this. These are those who the kingdom of God belongs to and what it means to follow me. And he says, whoever is least among you, whoever's lowest in position among you is the one who will be great. And at the end of Luke 9, the picture continues to be painted 
of what it means to be a follower of Jesus as, as words gotten out about Jesus and the authority and the, the miracles he's able to perform and all the, all the things that he's done and taught. And so people come say, I want to follow this Jesus. The crowd's being worked up. People are starting to follow him. I want to come. I want to follow you, Jesus. But let me do this and let me handle this and let my priority be this. And Jesus says, this is what it looks like. Let me paint a clear picture to you what it looks like to come and be properly responding to who I am and be my follower. Jesus said to all those folks, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. And that leads us right into where we've been in the last couple of weeks in chapter 10. Where Luke even gives more specific pictures of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Hence, kind of coming in the application process that he's wanting to paint. Because we see in the beginning of Luke chapter 10, and Brady shared this message with us, he sends out his disciples to do the works that he's been doing. So if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to go and you're going to do the works of Jesus with the power of Jesus. You're going to preach the message of Jesus, and you're going to see the authority of Jesus used through you. You're going to get to be a part of that. So he sends out disciples. See that at the beginning of chapter 10, sending out the 72. So he's calling us to be ambassadors for his name, missionaries. And it won't always be easy, is one of the points that are made in there. And then he calls his disciples, and what we looked at last week, to be neighbors. To be neighbors. To not sit back and say, who is my neighbor? But to actively be pursuing to be neighbors. To others who are in need and who are around us, even if it's un- inconvenient to us, even if it's to the point of letting them have your clothes and your donkey and spending some money on their hotel room. So Jesus has given some specific pictures of what it looks like to be his disciples. And if you look at all of this that I was just saying as we, we, we focused our attention in Luke 9, as Luke's beginning to focus what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, we would be tempted to wonder, who would want to be a disciple of Jesus? Who would want to die to self, become the least, put off all other priorities, go preach a message that's not always well received, and be constantly inconvenienced by people who are in need, who are all around us? Who would want to do that? And we come to this passage that we have this morning. And its importance and its proper place in this talk of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus where we see a glimpse of the answer of who would want to do this. We will do all of this as disciples of Jesus joyfully when we have sat intimately at the feet of Jesus to know that he is worthy of our lives. Because before we are ambassadors or missionaries, before we can be good neighbors, we need to know this, disciples, we are worshipers of Jesus. We treasure Jesus and what he says to us. And we want to be obedient to what Jesus says as a result of this. We're people who are bowing our heads and yet lifting our lives to Christ who is worthy of all of our worship. We've heard his truth. We've seen his beauty. And we have answered his call on our lives to die to ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him. And so this is the framing of the passage that we come to this morning. We learn some very important things from it. His disciples. A few truths that I want to look at as we look at this account in this passage. And the first is this. As disciples, we need to guard our hearts from anxiety. As disciples, we need to guard our hearts from anxiety. We've already seen this, this passage and even leading up to what I've already been able to share through Luke. There's no way that we can come and say Jesus is disregarding serving. 
and service to him. It's just not possible. You look at other teachings of Jesus. And so it's clear that we're to serve Christ. It's clear that we're to serve others. We're to go out and we're to do something. We're to be the hands and feet of Christ. He allows us to be a part of that. Not that he needs us to be a part of that. But so this doesn't mean the response to this passage today is not to mean that we stay huddled up in prayer and soft worship music playing in the background and and we don't go and actually get out there and serve Christ. No, God has purposed and privileged us to be a part of service for him and for his kingdom. But what's being addressed here is the heart of a disciple in Martha who is serving Christ and starts out with the motivation of being correct in wanting to serve Christ, but then her service becomes ultimately about her and her fixation on the fact that she's anxious about all this stuff that has to happen and she has to do it alone. It's kind of these urgent matters. What we can learn from Martha is that in the smaller things of life and what can seem urgent, even in serving Christ, this has to be done. This has to be done. This call needs to be made. This, piece, this person needs to be visited. I need to take this food to them. This needs to happen and this needs to happen. Of the, all of these things that can seem urgent and over time, all of those things that seem urgent and have to happen right now and right then, they overtake us to where we lose keeping time with Jesus as central to being able to serve Jesus and to serve others. In this passage, really what we look at and we see it's possible to serve Christ with the motivation of even exalting Christ apart from resting in Christ. And this seems, we can look at Martha and be like, this seems, why would she get so anxious? Because at the end of the day, we know Jesus isn't, in need of of food. He can provide food for himself. He's multiplied food to thousands. And she's wanting to bring out all of these dishes and she's wanting to serve and make sure that he's the honored guest. But she becomes anxious about these things and really worried about if this is going to play out right and if she's going to be able to do this in the right way and it just takes over her mind and it brings visible unrest to her. She's troubled. And I wonder as disciples if we relate to this and I believe that we do and that we need to guard our hearts from it there's a lot of things in this world to be anxious about there's a lot of things there's a lot of temptations to be anxious about your job situation your family situation whatever it may be and especially here in our context I think we like to carry that over into our service towards Christ And really what we need to be understanding is to be able to effectively serve Christ. We need to be resting in Christ completely to know that he doesn't need our service at the end of the day. He doesn't need it. He wants it. He calls us to it. He desires it. But if you find yourself in Martha's place, it's time to examine our lives. If your service for Christ feels overwhelming, if it feels like it's just bringing anxiety into your life, and if it's troubling you, there's a lesson to be learned here. Let me examine myself. Let me examine my life. Am I really resting in Christ? Am I prioritizing time with Christ? This plays into what what, uh, Jesus says and John records in his gospel in John 15, 5. And one of the commentators on this passage, I love what he says. He says, as few things are as damaging to the Christian life as trying to work for Christ without taking time to commune with Christ. 
Jesus said, for without me, without abiding in me, you can do nothing. And so I would ask us as, as a church, as Venue Church, what do we feel? What is our most urgent to us as Jesus followers? What's our most urgent need as Jesus followers? Is it the urgency to go and serve for him? But is that separated apart from the urgency to know that we need to strategically and prioritizing prayer and sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to what he has for us as individuals and as a body? Because I can tell you, we, we want this time. When you look at this and you say, we want to be worshipers of Jesus Christ. And even just taking this gathering, we have groups. And that's really the main thrust of where we serve. But also in our serving of groups, you got to watch your heart and you got to watch your pulse. And you got to say, are we being burnt out on this? If we're being burnt out on trying to serve as a group, we need to check the pulse and say, are we resting in Christ? Are we sitting at the feet of Christ? Are we worshipers of Jesus? Lovers of Jesus? But even within this time, and I love it this morning, worship for us corporately as a body started really with the first group that got here and started and began to set up. And we have to set up and we have to tear down week after week after week after week. And man, that can be like draining and draining and draining and draining. But I know the hearts of our folks, and I want to encourage you this, if, it's, if it starts to feel tiresome or wearisome, that your worship begins when you walk in the door and you begin serving this body by setting up chairs and setting up music and putting up the signs. As we're serving. You're serving the body so we can have this place to come and worship Jesus. Sit at his feet and listen to him together corporately. So you begin worshiping as you're setting up the chairs. And it's connected to communion with Christ and your relationship with Christ and your serving of Christ. Don't let it be anxious for you. Let it be a worship experience of sitting at Jesus' feet for you. And then this morning as we had a corporate prayer time and we're prioritizing exactly what this, mess, this passage is wanting to teach us as, as followers of Jesus, we have to prioritize time sitting at Jesus' feet, coming to him, intimately speaking with him and listening to him. And so we prayed at nine o'clock Many of us came and we prayed over this time and over our church family, prioritizing time with Jesus. And the worship began then. It began at service. It began when people were praying. And then it began as we began to sing songs to Jesus and worship him and praise him and thanking him for the cross and ultimately what he's done for us. Not necessarily what we feel about him, but what he's proven to feel about us and his love for us. So we're singing and we're worshiping Christ and we're listening to his teaching. And then as we conclude and we, we send out and we, we talk with each other and we fellowship with one another. And then we begin to break down and we leave this place from the beginning to the end. There's service involved. But I hope that you know it's worship of Christ. And I pray for the protection of the guarding of our hearts that would not become anxiety within us. And if it does, that you check the pulse and say, I need to sit back. I need, to, I need to spend some time at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus. So as disciples, it's important we guard our hearts from anxiety. Secondly, as disciples, we need to guard against constant assessment of others. And I won't spend much time on this. But we look at a part of the diagnosis of, of Martha's heart by Jesus is one, you're anxious, you're troubled. It shouldn't be this way. But then Martha even takes it a step. So, so another way we know we need to check the pulse in serving Jesus is when we're serving Christ. And maybe it started out as a motivation to serve him properly. And not only are we getting anxious about that, it's becoming kind of this thing that really just troubles us on the inside. But then also we become this kind of assessment agency for others. 
And I'm not talking about deliberate sin here where we look at others and we, we, we know that as, as people who are committed to each other, we want to make sure that we're, we're following Christ properly. And so when we see a brother and sister that's walking in a sin out of a motivation of love, we want to step in. We want to begin praying for them first. And then we want to begin walking with them to restore them into this relationship with Christ and bring them running to the cross of Christ, become a follower. But in instances where it's not like that, it's not this clear sin in somebody's life, but don't we do this? We begin this assessment process of others. I'm serving, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and what are they doing? What are they prioritizing their time and their lives with? Look at how they spend their time and their lives and all of this and all of that. And that's exactly what Martha is doing. That's what she's doing. She's dragged in Mary to this situation of her serving for Christ when she should have just focused on serving Christ, resting in Christ, not being anxious about it. And it's really got nothing to do with Mary, does it? And Jesus affirms that. Mary's in a good place where she needs to be. She's prioritizing what she needs to prioritize right now and in this moment. And so something to guard our hearts and our lives against. You need to check the pulse. If you begin, you find the tendencies in your heart and your mind and your life to begin in a, in a really, and it doesn't have to be a judging way, but an assessment way where you begin to assess other people's lives and times and talents and resources and assess and say, I don't know if their priorities on the kingdom or not, on Christ or not. And that's not our role in that. Let's serve Christ. Let's rest in Christ. And Jesus is affirming Mary's position at her feet. I heard this quote, it says, a community suffocates when all of its energy is being spent on an, being an assessment agency for one another. And I'll tell you, this as a, as a body church, as venue church, we want to guard this corporately as a church. And our assessment of other churches who are preaching the gospel and maybe it doesn't look like this, the way that they do things and the way that they do church, but we are not an assessment agency for those churches. We want to serve Christ. We want to do what Christ has called us to. We want to preach the gospel. We want to make disciples. We want other churches to do that. And we're for any churches that are doing that, whatever way they're doing it. And so we have to guard ourselves corporately and individually against becoming that assessment for others. And then third truth, and this is final. As disciples, we must place priority on being with Jesus. We have to place priority on being with Jesus. Where Mary finds herself, and I said we come back to this, she finds herself at his feet. Now this is, this is a symbolic thing with really different meanings and I kind of want to, and different understandings and I kind of want to break some of those out. This would be for, for other disciples. There's other rabbis who are teaching and they would have followers and this would also be a phrase that would be used for them that they're sitting at their rabbi's feet or their master's feet. That's where they would find their place in a, in a spot where their rabbi or their master is beginning to teach. And so this is where Mary is at. And so one, one breakout understanding of what this means is that we need to know our proper place when we come to Christ. Mary doesn't find herself, nor with any of the other disciples or anybody with their rabbi, trying to sit to the left of the right of their rabbi. No, they purposely go to his feet. So this is my proper place. You have the teaching and the knowledge that I want to hear and I need you and I need to hear it. So that's first what we need to know when we're sitting at Jesus' feet. We don't come looking saying we're looking into our lives and we know situations in our lives and Jesus, you need to speak this certain thing into my life. No, we come kind of with an abandonment before Jesus at his feet saying, I need you. 
What's your truth for my life? I come in total abandon, knowing my proper place before you. You know, what's interesting and what a point that really needs to be made at this passage is, is Mary is not worthy to sit at Jesus' feet. And many, many people would have thought this, more so than if a male would have been sitting at Jesus' feet as his disciple. There would have been ruckus happening about this. Mary, a woman? Because this really wasn't allowed in their culture. Why is this woman able to sit at the feet of Jesus, of her rabbi, and listen to his teaching in this way? That's a spot only for the men. And so many would have exaggerated and over-exaggerated this point. She's really not worthy. The fact that, that even men sat at the feet of their rabbi showed us this position that we're not worthy. That, that, that they're the ones that we're gleaning insight from. But with Mary, it's really highlighted. It's highlighted that we're not worthy. And I believe that's the point. The point of what Jesus wants to make and what this story wants to make. None of us are worthy at all to sit at Jesus' feet. But that Jesus' grace knows no boundaries or gender or unworthiness. He desires all people to hear his word and his truth. And we have to learn this as his disciples. To make his church, it's his church, he's the head of the church, a resemblance of the environment that Jesus created when he walked this earth. And that environment was that all are safe to come and hear my truth. Don't we pray that that would be for this place and this church? It's a safe environment. No matter what lifestyle you have found yourself called in, it's a safe environment for people to come and explore what Christ has to say and his truth and what that means. It's so not only a position of showing that we need to hear from you, that we're not worthy and so we're sitting at your feet, but also would be a position to listen. The type of listening that means I'm hanging on every word, I'm sitting at your feet and when you're speaking, I'm, I'm there with everything that you're saying in a way that it's a position of reflection. So what you say to me, I'm not just going to listen to it and know it, but I'm going to take it to heart and I'm going to reflect on it. And for them, it's really an oral preference culture as they're sharing stories. And that's why Jesus taught in parables. That's the part of why I wanted to share this story with you orally. You would hear these orals, oralities and, and parables and teachings and the meanings of them. And they would stick with the people. And so Mary would hear this teaching and she may spend days and weeks reflecting on what it means. And what it means for her life and her followership of Christ. And so the same for us. And so a question would be, is are we spending time like this with Jesus? Because we can have a time with Jesus that we've designated a time where I'm going to get quiet with Jesus. But is it this kind of time? Where it's a time where we approach Jesus saying, I'm not worthy to come to you. I'm not coming with any prerequisites of what I need you to say to me right now. But I'm coming open-handed before you at your feet saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you to speak to me. I need time with you. And I'm going to listen to what you say. And I'm going to take it to heart and reflect on it. And I'm going to spend days meditating on it. And let your spirit apply it to my life. That's the kind of sitting at Jesus' feet that's in question, that's in mind here. And you know, Mary, there's a lot to learn from her as a follower of Christ. She found herself at Jesus' feet often. I mentioned that before. Three times in the gospel, all times she's at the feet of Jesus. She found herself soaking in every word in this situation of what Jesus was saying and reflecting on his teaching. And then in grief, after her brother Lazarus had died, she runs out just as Martha did. Where, where were you, Jesus? Well, Mary runs out, but guess what she does? She falls at his feet. In this time of great grief, she finds herself coming to the feet of Jesus. That's where she knows to go. And then in John chapter 12, we find her at the feet of Jesus in a beautiful picture of sacrificial worship where she's preparing Jesus for his ultimate death. And you're probably familiar with the story. In this story, people 
also have a problem with Mary being at the feet of Jesus. She breaks open this expensive thing of perfume and she begins to pour it out on Jesus' feet, symbolically representing what she knows is his coming of the sacrifice that he'll make for her and for us. And she takes her hair and she dries his feet. And people had a problem with it then too, but she didn't care. See, Mary was a worshiper of Jesus. And in all circumstances, in all situations, she found herself running to the feet of Christ. She truly understood this verse that comes out of Psalms 27, 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to acquire in his temple. See, Jesus says, follow me, and we know the sacrifice. But we'll follow the one who is worthy. And we'll know his worthy, and we'll deny ourselves, and we'll follow, and we'll serve in this kind of way when we stay worshiping in the intimate presence of Jesus. We are worshipers of Christ. Will you pray with me?